Punisher Season 2, Episode 2 Review. Welcome back, fellow defenders. We're here talking about The Punisher Season 2, Episode 2. This is Episode 207 of Defenders TV Podcast, and I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Oh, hi. I'm one of your hosts, Chris. Welcome back, Chris, and Happy New Year, mate. I know it is good to be back with the fellow defenders. Yeah. Um, it's been too long. I, I, I needed my fix. Exactly, exactly. We did have one podcast that came out after the start of the new year, which was our Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse coverage, which Chris was on, obviously. Uh, I know you couldn't join us for the first episode of The Punisher Season 2, and unfortunately, John can't join us for the second episode of The Punisher Season 2, purely because we didn't get the episodes as early as we usually do, and we didn't have everybody available to record. What we're going to try and do is get these together as quickly as we can so that we can give you, our fellow defenders, the episodes the way we normally do, two a week, uh, with our thoughts about each of the episodes, right the way up until episode 13 of The Punisher. Yes, it's going to be a good one. Just quickly jumping back to Spider-Verse, apparently the Blu-ray is coming very soon, and apparently... There's loads more Easter eggs, more than anyone has ever even found. Some <laughs> that are not even talked about, that we never talked about, never saw. So I am wholly looking forward to that. But do you know what's going to tide me over till then? Mm-hmm. The Punisher. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Full 13-episode season, which comes out, obviously, on the 18th of January. Um, we've been lucky enough to get a couple of the episodes in advance before the release. So we're talking about these once again before you've been able to watch them, fellow defenders, which means before you've been able to send us your thoughts. We do want to hear your thoughts on every episode as we go through the series. So make sure you join us over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV Podcast. I'll be putting up a spoiler post for each of the episodes as we go and you can put in your thoughts on each of the episodes if you want to tell us your thoughts about the entire season of course you can email us at feedback at defenders tv podcast.com just put in season review or whatever episode it is you want to talk about and you can also go to our website at defenders tv podcast.com and leave us a voicemail with your thoughts about any of the episodes anything else i'm missing chris Nope, that's about it. Let's get into the punishment. Excellent. <laughs> so, do you want to give me some of the episode details? Because we love starting it off that way. Well, this episode was written by Steve Lightfoot and directed by Jim O'Hanlon, who were both involved in the first episode of this season. It kind of made me think, when I saw both of their names on there for this episode, it made me think that this was just a two-parter, that the first two episodes were actually two parts of a whole, more than any of the other shows have been in the past. What do you think, Chris? Completely. This is very much a continuation of the, the, the story. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you could see this as a two-hour single episode yeah um very much telling the story or opening the story up opening the season up um it's more and more it's continuation of what we've seen the the, the showrunner uh and the director um kind of tag team in the first couple of episodes to get very much the feel in and i'm guessing most likely life will be back towards the end of the season probably the penultimate or the very final episode just to tie it all back in together exactly and if you missed it last episode jim o'hanlon is also from dublin ireland uh, where we're all from as well so that's kind of cool too isn't it ah jim sure bigari 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 you send us an old dm with your thoughts i know you're not from dublin originally chris but we don't talk (laughs) like that there either I know, but it's for American uh, fellow defenders. You know, this is we're actually uh, inflecting here mm-hmm. to put on a really kind of more neutral accent. But to be truthful with everyone, we actually sound, you know, a bit like this now. We go, "Begar, Jesus, where's me lucky charms?" Uh, <laughs> oh, that's no. how we speak on a normal basis. Um, <laughs> but we just kind of inflect. Uh, especially for these guys no 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 don't agree chris i'm lying i'm completely (laughs) lying here but you know hey if anyone ever if the punisher uh kind of goes forward and later when they start filming other episodes who knows we'll actually need an irish gangster i'm willing to kind of put forward and step there so jim give me a call if you need someone in the background just to kind of sound really irish (laughs) i like it i like it okay well that's kind of gives us our overall episode details but In lieu of our fellow defender who cannot be with us today, Derek, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis? Sure. After a tiring night on the road, Amy, now Rachel, and Frank, now Pete, 
get a hotel room to hide out in. During their escape from the roadhouse, Frank got hit by a bullet and needs it removed. Rachel is still lying to Frank about who she is and how she's involved. Meanwhile, Billy Russo awakes after another nightmare about his beating at the hands of Frank. Dina Madani is visiting daily, but he has no knowledge of who she is. Billy's injuries turned his memories and identity into a jigsaw puzzle, and his new therapist, Dr. Krista Dumont, is there to help. In another hospital in Michigan, Beth gets a visit from the man in black who is trying to force a confession out of her. Who was the man at the bar? As the man in black gets closer, his team attack Rachel and Frank at the motel, but the local police arrive before the final shootout, taking them all into custody. With a warning from Frank to let them all go, if the sheriff really cares about his people, the man in black arrives at the station. Son of a preacher, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, the man in black. Yeah. I'm liking this character. We'll probably get deeper into that in our bullet points. But if you're joining us for the first time for this season, the way that we review our shows in each episode is by just kind of pulling out our top five points. In this case, our top five bullet points. Mm -hmm. It is the Punisher, after all. We're going to discuss them and kind of that's how we'll run through the episode. At the end of our top five bullet points, we're going to then just wrap up and say why we defend or do we defend this episode mm -hmm. so kicking off because i really want to get into it bullet point number one double occupancy at the tides mm -hmm. yes we get a brilliant opening where frank is bleeding frank is driving while bleeding quite a lot yeah. by the way i'm gonna pull in one of my notes here that's a lot of blood that's gonna that's a lot of carpet cleaner he's gonna upholstery cleaner he's gonna need to pull out it was quite a fair amount i was like going oh i hope he oh, no. scotch guarded those uh those seats definitely yeah like, like, to wipe it, down. it didn't look like it. it looked like it was really kind of seeping in there <laughs> um but he does drive and he continues and we have amy now rachel kind of continuously saying to him Hey, do you want me to drive? Do you want to pull over? Uh, and they end up at the tides. Mm -hmm. And they are injecting some kind of very slight comedic points into some of these. Yeah, so yeah. we get the, I'm going to need some cash. And he pulls out the very bloodstained money. Yes, yes. And she's like, Okay, not inconspicuous at all. <laughs> I really like this, yeah. And I know we did have a bit of humor, obviously, in the first season with Micro and and, uh, and the Punisher's relationship back in season one. There's a lot of a lot of humor there. It's good to have this character as well of Amy Amy slash Rachel. I have a feeling we're going to call her something different every single episode for thirteen episodes until we find out a real name. But anyway, for this episode, it's Rachel, right? Um, having her side by side with Frank, the gruff character that he is, right beside her. I think it works really well. They're playing quite well against each other. Um, she just seems to always be wanting to get away from Frank. And I like that Frank is constantly has one eye on her and one eye on the road in case she runs off on him before he knows where this whole relationship is going to go. The bloody money works out really well. Like it's a great little gag. But weirdly, when they go into the hotel, Rachel does actually hand over two completely blood-covered bills to Debbie behind the counter. And Debbie kind of looks at them, but takes them and puts them in the drawer. <laughs> like I think I'd call the police. Would you yeah, she had like a big, massive blood stain on her kind of fur outlined jacket. Mm -hmm. I was like, at least take your jacket off. Like, you look <laughs> down, you're, it's not, it wasn't that like a few spots on the kind of the white fur. It was like, it was a pretty big kind of stain there. I'm like, oh, ah, come on now, Rachel, you can, you can do a bit better. But as long um, as they're taking a twin room, Debbie and her family are okay then. No, then then the whole whole hotel is clean, right? So it's okay. True, true, true. <laughs> and she can still make some more money. You know, that's one one of the reasons. Um, so we get into very much into the the rooms themselves, and mm -hmm. we do get the very cheeky first aid scene. Yes, which I have to admit, I, I really enjoyed. And was almost the title of this of this bullet point: a cheeky first yeah. aid. <laughs> it was good. It was just like when he pulls down his pants or part of his pants. There was a, a again another small. See, she's like, whoa, 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 what's going on here yeah. now? Yeah. Now, I'm going to put this up front, and I know they're doing this on purpose. I don't like the character of Rachel mm -hmm. uh, or Amy, whatever she's going to be or whatever she ends up. Yeah. Uh, they're doing this on purpose. They're making her to be this very manipulative, uh, contradictory character. Yeah. They're, they're building it so you don't like her. Yeah. Um, and it's working. What we do get is like she's constantly having to be berated into things and mm -hmm. like helping Frank and the constant lying and the falling back on tears and just the delivery by Georgia Wingham is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I, I, it's how she's 
they're portraying her at the moment. Yeah. Uh, also, I, I just don't like people who fall back onto woe is me. Absolutely. And I, I do like how they've set it up in the show as well. You know, we, we know as the audience, she's already used a false name uh, before she's used Amy when she was talking uh, on the phone in the last episode. So we know that she's talking to Frank. Not only is he telling her that his name's Pete, she's also telling him that her name is Rachel. So at this point, we know that there's no trust between the two of them. And I like that Frank can see through her immediately. Every single time she tries one of her supposed tricks that she uses, he completely ignores it. He's able to, to get inside her head that great moment when he ties her up to the bed and they have that kind of argument. And then eventually she thinks she's got on the right side of Frank and goes, you don't need to put that duct tape back on my mouth again. You can trust me. And then he goes out of the room. Five minutes later, it comes back to the room and she's lying back on the bed with the duct tape back in her mouth, showing that Frank still knows he can't trust this girl. That actually leads me to kind of like the next part, mm-hmm. which is the photos. Yeah. So she says that this is all due to the two reams of uh, film yeah. in the old style. For all of you, uh, our younger generation, um, <laughs> images used to be captured on uh, film. And in, the, <laughs> I'm joking, obviously. But uh, no, so we, what's in the photos? And I'm really interested. And beyond that, the, the hints because of the way they're portraying the character and the constant lies and the, the, the twisting of truth. Yeah. Is there actually anything even on them? Are they actually important? Or is this more just kind of, again, more Rachel being Rachel? Well, what I was impressed with, we talked about the last episode, they found the laptop in the bag that she'd thrown outside the bathroom. Um, we thought last episode, that's where the photographs were. You hear the man in black talk about these photographs, that that's what he wants to get his hands on. They got their hands on the laptop. They're cracking the laptop at the moment, basically. His team are working on that. Um, so I'm really impressed that there are physical photographs in her pocket that she's carrying around because, well, if you got to crack into a laptop and go through all the files that are in there to find the photographs you're looking for, hey, that does buy you a little bit of time if they're actually physically held in your pocket, doesn't it? <laughs> it's sure, quite cool. but that's even if they're on mm-hmm. the, the film or on the laptop, if yeah. they're not on a, uh, a USB drive in her <laughs> other pocket. Yeah, yeah, you never, you never know what Rachel... Or a keychain or Barry. Like, I think what will end up is that there's going to be all these dummy locations Mm -hmm. or dummy items where the photos might be or she'll have printed them off and they're sitting in a drawer in her college room quote-unquote maybe Um, maybe yeah but i I just uh, i do like the strength they are giving to the character Mm -hmm. so she is not afraid um to literally go not go one-on-one in terms of a physical fight with frank but more the conversation yes in that she brings up the fight was what you made it, Frank. Mm-hmm. You needed this. You didn't hes- hesitate. Yeah. And she's basically calling him out. It's almost like you were happy for the excuse for the violence. Yeah, yeah. It's a really good call, isn't it? Yeah, we, we'd mentioned in the last episode that there's a moment in uh, in the performance of John Bernthal where you see him looking out as if there are sharks going through the sea of the crowd and he's looking for their intended target. And when he sees it's her that's when he goes, that's when he makes the move because if it was somebody else, he wouldn't have gone for it. But he's definitely looking at, at them, seeing them target her and then go, right, okay, I'm in. I'm, I, I've been waiting for this opportunity. That's what it really feels like. And I love that she's calling him out for that. Yeah, and he even calls it out himself, which mm-hmm. is if if you had been a guy, I would have left you to the sharks. Yeah, yeah. But because Thanks, you Frank. were a girl and it was you, I had to. So I'm wondering as well, Micro was the friend, the colleague, mm-hmm. the, the army, the army buddy. If this is going to be that Rachel Amy is the daughter. Maybe, maybe. This is like, and potentially she's the, the, the female punisher in training, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the boy wonder, the, in this case, the girl wonder. Yeah. I have a feeling they're not going to treat her as the damsel in distress, regardless of what Frank might think she is the beginning. And I think that's where, that's where we are now in the second episode. Right at the start, he thought she was just some 16-year-old girl who couldn't get served at the bar the first time he saw her. Uh, she did get served, I think, uh, just a Coke in the end. Um, but he saw her as an innocent. She's not an innocent. He knows that now. And I think that's kind of where they're going to build on that rather than putting her back in that position. But I'm sure there'll be moments where she has guns pointed in her face that Frank will have to save her again. And again, and again, and again, <laughs> until the point where we find out she's killing. But I suppose we can kind of get onto that in the kind of the, the later scenes mm-hmm. um, and our later bullet points. But right now, I'd love to move it on to bullet point number two. Absolutely. Because at the end of episode one, we're given a brief 
glimpse of a man in a mask. Yeah, yeah. And we we we, we knew who it was, yep. and we, we were fully introduced. We we saw Madani and everything. Yep. So now we're getting the 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 expansion of that. So in bullet point number two, I'd like to call this one a fractured nightmare for Billy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we actually called him uh, Ben all the way through the last episode, unless I've been able to edit that out. It is not Ben Russo, obviously. It is Billy Russo. We did mess that up. Hopefully I've been able to edit it out, but sorry if we didn't uh, get a chance to do that. Uh, yeah, it is really good to see this character back in here. I love this really intense Madani standing over the bottom of his bed uh, every time he wakes up. It's like as if she's timed it. You know, she goes, he wakes at 9 a.m. I'll be there at uh, one minute to nine. He wakes at 6 p.m. I'll be there at one minute to 6 p.m. You know, uh, that's the way she's timed her day to be standing over his bed every time he wakes up. But it's not really helping because he has no idea who she is. Or does he? Or does he? Of course. It's going to be the question <laughs> that of the was, season. That was my best trailer man voice. Um, <laughs> or does he? Uh, no, it, it's really interesting because we see in the last episode, he was awake during that scene when she was standing there. Mm-hmm. So Madani constantly being there, um, we'll kind of speak more about that later on. Mm-hmm. Um, very much is her, I suppose, wanting payback, um, for why she's suffering, what she's suffering with. Yeah. And she, she's changed. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, very much so. Cause we're introduced to Doc Dumont. Yes. Um, and I, I'm very interested in this character. Um, straight away, we're given the impression or we're led to believe just based on the writing style and the camera and we're not supposed to trust this character. Yeah, it's a weird one. It's supposed to make you question your idea on things, isn't it? It's another one of these wonderful things the Netflix Marvel shows do. Dr. Dumont is an innocent character that she is a psychologist or a, or a psychiatrist or a therapist, effectively, of some sort, who's come in and is working with Billy Russo, who she knows nothing about, and she believes he's completely innocent and just wants to put back together his fractured brain. Um, they have the moment where she calls out exactly what character from the comic books he is because he hadn't earned that name in the last season. We have the moment where she says that everything's fractured and all of his memories and all of his past have turned into a jigsaw piece that she's going to help put back together. So it's a lovely way of introducing that name uh, for him. I don't know whether you think you're not supposed to trust Dr. Dumont or not, but she's doing exactly what she's professionally been trained to do, which is if someone's got a fractured mind, put those pieces back together. The big worry, because we know who he is, is what happens when she does put all those pieces back together and everything fits back in place and Billy becomes Billy Russo, Jigsaw. By the way, when she said Jigsaw, <laughs> for all of our fellow defenders who watch Family Guy, it was very much, oh, they just said the name of the show in the show. Or in this case, the name of the character in the show. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. I was like, yeah. Anyway, I, I did that. I do love the reaction from Madani going, what did you just say? <laughs> just in case, just in case nobody, anybody missed it. Uh, this is the character's name, okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're going to call him. The- now, I think it's going to be very much like Kingpin. From mm-hmm. Daredevil, they will mention it once or twice. Mm-hmm. I don't think that he'll ever call himself in the future no. of this season. I am Jigsaw. No, um, like a very comic book esque. There, this is grounded in reality. Yeah. So this is very much a nice nod to the character uh, from the comic books. The are the the origin of the character, yeah. or the origin of the name of the character. Um, with Doctor Dumont, yes, she. Well, you would think that this is what this is. She's an innocent character doing what she's trained to do. Mm-hmm. History has told us, uh, unfortunately, from Frank's season one, um, Frank's past, and all these shadow uh, CIA agencies and things like that, that she may not be. Yeah. And I think that's where my distrust of the <laughs> character is coming from. Right. Because I'm very much, and she plays it very well, the mm-hmm. actress. She plays it as you can read the way that she delivers the lines in one of two ways and the eyes and the the deep stares. I'm interested to see where that goes. Mm -hmm. Is she just the innocent who is trying to help him and protecting her patient? Yes, he is uh, a murderer and he's under lock and key, but he's still her patient. It's her job to fix him to a degree. Or is there more to the story? Yeah. Um, I have to admit that I really loved the, the session scene. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I lo- I want to call out the mask. Yes, what's your theory on it? I I think it was Madani. Okay, so it's a standard mask. Yeah, 
that she's drew on while he like was locked in his bed in the in the covers. <laughs> I think this is her. That's where I'm kind of assuming it's from. Yeah, we had the same kind of theory where it's like you fell asleep at, at a frat party and you woke up with your eyebrows shaved off. You know, it's kind of like that. He went to sleep with the blank mask and woke up with its jigsaw pieces drawn all over the front of us, some kind of punishment from Badani. I'm not too sure. I'm wondering if it was something that was done in a therapy session with Dr. Dumont. You know, I didn't realize how much he'd been out of bed and I didn't realize how much time had passed between uh, when they were sent to hospital and when this has taken place. It's about six or eight months, I think, uh, is what they say in the in the discussions. Um, so it makes me feel like there was an exercise that was done to ask Billy what he thinks he looks like on the outside. And this is what he drew on the mask to put over his face, if that makes sense. So it's kind of yeah. showing his own version of what he of how bad he thinks he looks. The reason why I think that in this episode is because there's that moment where he takes his tablets uh, and takes a glass of water, lifts the mask away from Dr. Dumont so we can't see his face. So it looks like he feels like he's disgusting underneath that mask. And whether he is or not, we don't know. Uh, we won't know that until we obviously see the face. But um, but it feels like he probably has a worse opinion of what he looks like than he actually does, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly where I think this is. I'm not sure. I, I, I like the idea of Madani doing it. Uh-huh. But, or, but like you said, it could be the therapy piece. In terms of that fear of showing his face, mm-hmm. exactly. Like, we, we have to remember, and for anyone who's just joining us for season two, um, in season one, Billy Russo is a very vain character. He's oh, yeah. pretty. Yeah. He, he, he looked after himself. He, he was the, the, f- the front man CEO type thing. Yeah. So the fracturing of his face, this figurement, uh, is going to have large ramifications for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very interesting to see that. And I think that's going to negatively affect his psychology, much like, the Skull Nightmares. Oh, yes. Yes. This is, oh. this is fantastically put together, I must say, from the scenes that we saw at the end of uh, end of season one, the episode 13 of, of season one, the fight with Frank, where that the skull on, on his chest, the blood and the breaking glass are the three things that Billy remembers from his dream. But if you look at the, the scenes themselves, the skull is coming alive on Frank's chest. It's not just the T-shirt skull. It actually turns into a 3D image that's kind of coming at uh, Billy Russo from out of his nightmares. It's a great moment and really, really visceral. And you really, I, I'd be sitting up in bed pretty quickly if I was getting those kind of dreams. Yeah, I, I loved, I loved it. Uh, uh, it was th- that skull on the bulletproof vest was so. It was very haphazard, and we loved the style of it. Mm-hmm. It was very much the spray paint version, yeah, um, of the, the the logo. But seeing it in the, yeah, as you said, they, they kind of added some CGI effects to make it somewhat. 3D, um, it was like one of those optic images where you move your head and it yeah. follows you. Yeah, but it did look alive, yeah. Uh, very cool. And I can, you know, we do get a little bit more when uh, Dr. Dumont starts to kind of interrogate Billy about about his history. She starts to get him to repeat things that he knows. So here's the part that we don't know about. This is the bit that causes me some kind of pause as to what Billy remembers, because the last thing he says he remembers was sitting with the rest of his team during the war, including Frank, where they're just shooting the shit, chatting about things going on, sitting with his crew. That's years ago. That's way before anybody started working with him in Kandahar, way before they killed uh, Frank's family. And he's saying that uh, Frank is still his best friend. And I'm kind of going, you've wiped a lot of your history out there. I'm not sure whether the trauma of being beaten by Frank and having this happen to you is supposed to have wiped everything of your life between then and now. It seems like a lot to have been wiped um, between then and now. But I don't know. Of course, it's all connected to that trauma. Everything from that point onwards, when they were shooting the shit with Frank being his best friend, from that point onwards is when Billy turned on him and became Billy Russo, the CEO of the company, and working in Kandahar to get the drugs out and everything that led to the death of Frank's family. It's all connected there. So maybe he has wiped all that from his memory, but it seems like a huge amount to wipe. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was going. As soon as he started talking that Frank is his best friend, hmm, okay. Um, That being said, we do see some form of potential short-term memory issues Mm -hmm. um, because he does, and it's very much a blink and you'll miss it. He asks for more Tylenol, but not more. He asks for the Tylenol. 
Yes. Because it seems he for, has forgotten that he's just taken some. Yeah. Now, this seemed more off the cuff, so potentially there is a short-term memory issue, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Where I think they're going to take this character is, over time, Billy will remember some things, but it will be a fractured version. Right. Where potentially Frank and the, the Skull Nightmare is the one who did this. Like, Frank is the bad guy. He is going to get revenge on Frank for disfiguring him, mm-hmm. be- but not knowing that he killed Frank's family or anything like that. Yeah. So he- potentially it's almost like another anti-hero almost, mm-hmm. but because he thinks he's right. Yes, a hero in his own mind, I'd say, yeah. Yes, yeah. probably. It, there is another, another great reaction as well when Dumont tells him what he did. She tells Billy that he is the one that shot Madani in the head and put her in the hospital. And his reaction to that seems quite genuine as well. But again, Madani does point out that he is the greatest liar that she's ever come at, come across, the greatest liar she's ever worked with. And she's in the business of looking for liars. And he's the greatest one she's ever been around. So uh, so potentially that we're getting taken in again by Billy Russo, you know, with his reactions to things. But I do think that was also a quite genuine moment when he doesn't realize why Madani is in the room. And then he's told that he's the one that shot her in the head. So I don't know. Let's keep a little button in that one. We're going to see more yeah. of that throughout the rest of the series, of course. And potentially Dumont has told them this multiple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that could be one of the interesting things. I just want to also point out, it did occur to me, well, why hasn't he already tried to escape? Uh-huh. If he, he does remember things. He's already just said, he does actually mention that he he's slowly gaining his physical fitness back. His yes. physique. Because she says you're looking better and the walking's better and things like that. Yeah. So... It seems like there was probably more trauma, not just to his brain, yeah. but potentially to other parts of him. Like, if he is actually faking everything, he's just biding his time, he's building back his strength, because the one, two guards we saw outside, or the one guard we saw, we can assume there's two. Billy Russo could have taken them down. They're street cops. Yeah. To, to degree. So Billy Russo could easily take them. Absolutely. Um, so I think this is very much, he was physically incapable Right. If he has remembered everything already and he's faking, he was physically incapable of doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And last episode, we thought he hadn't even moved out of that bed for a couple of months because he was tied down to it in kind of like a uh, body bag uh, when yeah. Madani was there. But this doctor just releases that in two seconds when she walks into the room. So presumably she's done that quite a lot. He says he's done some workouts, but hasn't been able to run yet, is what he says, is exact words. So yes, you're right. He hasn't been able to run yet. Will he go on the run pretty soon? Be interesting to know. Um, Speaking of Madani, the other character we know from season one, uh, returns in a much bigger role this episode, not much last episode, just that one moment with Billy last episode. For bullet point number three, Madani is also suffering. As you mentioned, Chris, we do see a very different side of Dina Madani uh, from the really confident character that we saw most of the way throughout season uh, season one until the point that her partner was killed and she was betrayed by Billy. Uh, she had that singular view uh, going after Billy uh, towards the end of the season. This time, she just seemed completely on edge, uh, I think, more than we saw her in season one. Yeah, and I, I think this is... I'm going to kind of jump between multiple parts of the episode mm-hmm. because before we kind of get in, she is suffering. She has PTSD about this previous season. Mm-hmm. Um, she is seeing, still having dreams of Billy kind of sitting over her mm-hmm. and kind of smiling his crooked smile. Yeah. And I think that it could, that's another, a nice, a, a nice callback to her standing over his bed. Yes, absolutely. So, absolutely. and I thought that was, it was really well done, particularly though that shot kind of like he was seeing her from that angle and now she, she, cause she's seeing him yeah. from that angle in her dreams. And it's taking a toll. She's drinking heavily each night, mm-hmm. sipping on her uh, her hip flask, yeah, uh, and not not steady on her feet. It's kind of sipping from her hip flask. She was a bit plastered. Oh yeah, and she walked out of that room. Yeah. So seeing her dishevelled in her state, where she was when later she's meeting Rafi for dinner, mm-hmm. and seeing her with the arm over the chair, the shirt not fully pressed and kind of slightly open in comparison to special agent Dina Madani from the first season. Like Mm -hmm. seeing that difference is quite stark. If you watch one episode of season one and then one episode now, you'd be like, oh, something major has happened. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. And there's a really weird uh, kind of moment with Rafi where he says to her that he obviously understands that she's really angry, but he says to her that she's still a special agent in charge at Homeland. Um but she needs to take up the job. She needs to go back and start working on the job. 
it's been months, as we said, since Madani and Billy were put into hospital in the first place, you know, six, six to eight months, I think, as I said. Um, how is she keeping that job open if she's going to the hospital twice a day, every single day to stand over Billy? You know, uh, is she going back to the office in between? Is that is that what's happening? You know, Rafi seems genuinely worried that she's not able to do do her job now because of this vendetta that she has with trying to expose Billy uh, to everybody that will listen effectively, that, that she's going to tell them all who Billy is, even if he can't tell them who he is. Well, she was shot in the head. Mm hmm. So what I take from this is that she's on still on medical leave. Right. Yep. Um, and she's not going back. She, we know that she's still having these very vivid sweat inducing nightmares. Mm-hmm. And potentially that's a daily thing for her now. Yeah. So she hasn't been cleared for duty. Probably she's been cleared for duty, but she's, she's like, I need more time. Yeah. And that's kind of the feeling I'm getting. But I do see potentially the end of this episode dragging her back and forcing her hand a bit, which yeah. uh, we make, make sense. Um, but it, it, it is quite sad to see this character in the state. It, yeah. Sorry. Let me rephrase that. It's sad to see her in the state because we knew the character previously, like seeing the downfall of this character. Yeah. Um, to the point where her world, that she knew when we were introduced to her in season one is completely changed. Yeah. Like nothing she thought real was real. So uh, I'm interested to see potentially she is in therapy. So I'm, I'm interested to see if we get that because one thing I, I, I'm missing so far, and I'm assuming it's coming. Um, one of the best parts of season one was those um, support group. Mm-hmm. kind of scenes yeah um, looking again i'm looking back with blinkered kind of thoughts and a rose tinted glasses if you will on season one because i know i i personally some of those scenes i didn't like back then yeah. but looking back on it now that support element really helped drive home some of the problems that these characters in this case frank was having yeah um, and it kind of from a narrative standpoint was really useful so i'm hoping we'll either have a Basil exposition scene where she starts talking to Rafi and tells her the exposition of why she's having all these problems, or we get some form of kind of, like I said, therapy scene for her. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps I I do think um, it's really important for the character, Madani, what she's going through is so tough. Like, you know, she did absolutely sleep with the enemy. That's effectively what she did. The one person that she was looking for to take the fall when, all the all the fingers are pointing at Frank Castle. The one person she was trying to find was the guy that she was sleeping with and let inside her life and let inside her home. So the fear that's in her that this might happen again or that somebody else might not see him for who he really is, as you say, it's taking a toll on her. I'm sure we're going to see a lot more of that. That's definitely part of her character arc for this season. Hope she's not going to wallow in it, but I hope we're going to see a little bit more of her just being driven by that central moment that happened at the end of season one. Hope we're going to see a bit more of Madani than just that. But, but yeah, I definitely want to see a couple more scenes uh, with that happening. Yeah, I think what they'll do is they'll they'll drive, it will increase her attack, her Mm -hmm. her violent kind of streak, her mean streak, if you will. Maybe. And speaking of attacks, Mm -hmm. it's almost like a segue was built there. (laughs) Uh, Let's move on to bullet point number four of this episode, an attack at the motel. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have this whole thing that Frank has been preparing for throughout the episode. I was really intrigued to find out that uh, Frank seemed to know this was going to happen at some point. Now, admittedly, he is driving the most recognizable van in all of Michigan. So, of course, it's going to happen at some point. You know, the minute you see that, you go, that's the Punisher's van, isn't it? (laughs) So, understandable why he thinks it's going to happen. But he has been slowly preparing uh, for this to happen. We see that he rents the second room uh, in the hotel, breaks the wall down in between the two rooms, uh, covers it up, and they hide out in the other room while while the knife gang, as we're calling them for the first episode, uh, return to find him. So, uh, quite interesting that that he's always in prep you know he's like a good a good boy scout yeah but th- this is very much the special operations that's right kind of training kicking in straight away yeah enemy territory get yourself a hole mm-hmm. get yourself an exit strategy but yeah the punisher van you'd think micro would have tricked it out a bit kind mm. of give it like those license plate where he presses a button and it just flips around Maybe. so you can just change it uh because we don't see that and speaking of micro i'm wondering Will we get the obligatory micro scene later where he kind of, I, I miss that character already. The, the back and forth between Frank and micro. 
Um, so I'm hoping we do see him more. I loved Micah last season. I'll say that, definitely. And I think most of the story of the first season of uh, of The Punisher, when it wasn't dealing with the death of The Punisher's family, of Frank Castle's family, was about Micro. So I kind of feel that his story's done. He's gotten back to his wife and kids. He's gotten away and out of the life, and he's completely safe and secure and back with his family. Unless it's just a phone call from Frank that says, can you help me out uh, one last time for one episode? I don't actually want to see him for this season. I think I think we're hopefully done with that because it was such a great story for the character of Micro. I did love him, but I just don't want to see him. I don't want to see them work some weird TV type logic as to why he would go on the run again with Frank or something. You know? Oh no, no, I, I I'm agree with you. I think I just want to see him as the Turk. Maybe so yeah. the, he is the Turk Barish for this season. Hopefully, maybe. Obviously, we still get to see Turk, but <laughs> <laughs> I want to see maybe, like I said, like the phone call where, like Frank calls him for the tech. It's like I need to pull you back in just for this one favor, like because that's very much what the Punisher does. You're mm-hmm. out until you're back in. Maybe, maybe. Um, but anyway, what we get to see in this attack on the motel is Rachel. Frank gives her the gun mm-hmm. and we get that very intimidating scene from John Bernthal where he's like, Oh my God. Yeah. If I was pointing <laughs> a gun at you, I still probably wouldn't even be able to pull the trigger. Exactly. One, because you're beautiful. Two, <laughs> because probably the bullets would bounce off your chiseled abs. Second, uh, no, just more like the stare from Frank Castle. Yeah. Um, really is. It's intimidating. Absolutely. It's like as if, you know, if your hand slipped on the gun and you shot a bullet and it missed him, he would just rip your head off. You know, he would absolutely destroy you. Or even if you did kill him, he would come back from the grave and destroy you. Um, He is such an intimidating presence here. I love it, Rachel. But I would have been nervous, you know, even being frank, I would have been nervous about having this young girl, she's she's 16, uh, holding a gun directly pointed at him. And with his intimidation, would she not, you know, freak out a little bit and squeeze the trigger, you know? Could have been a mistake. Could have been, it it's like, happen, happens all the time, unfortunately. Um, so I, I would have been a little bit more, uh, you know, maybe put your hand over the gun and move it out, out of out of the direction <laughs> and not just try and talk her down. Because I don't think she did have an intention to shoot the gun. He knows she didn't either. But he may have forced her into it by scaring her by mistake, you know. <laughs> he, boo! Ah! <laughs> exactly. Uh, it, it happens. His other, his other ass cheek is uh, embedded with lead. Um <laughs> So the night gang now becomes the gun gang and yep. they track Frank down, as we said, and we do get this fantastic, I say fantastic scene because I did really enjoy, again, see, like it wasn't as visceral and as punchy, if you will, <laughs> as the fight scene we get in episode one. Yeah. But it again shows off Frank's skill sets as a trained marksman. Like exactly. we have guys with semi-automatics being taken out by Frank with basically a handgun and one clip yeah. until he gets a secondary clip. It, yeah. It's like, yeah, it was 12 shots and he's taken out two instantly and injures the third. Yeah. And then he goes out after the sniper in the van yeah. and loses the rest of the clip. Exactly. But I suppose this is the whole attraction to a TV show about the Punisher, isn't it? It's the it's the home aloneness of it, the adult home alone kind of idea where he builds up the traps and then you want to see you want to see the mice caught by those traps. That's kind of what you want to happen, you know? So having these scenes where you go, well, where is Frank and, and where is Rachel? We did hear that they got the other room. We saw him smacking a wall, but did you guess that he was hiding in the other room and when they're shooting the bullets into the wall, they wouldn't hit him? You know, would they not have just used that way as escape? Well, that's not how Frank works. Frank is going to sit in hiding and pounce on you the minute he knows that you're not, not thinking, you're, you don't know where he is. He's going to pounce on you and take you out. It's always what you want to watch in The Punisher Show. And it's a great a great moment for this. Uh, one other thing I just want to call out as well, what I thought was quite interesting, the leader of this gang saying to the rest of her men that even though they found Frank and Rachel at this hotel, she's not going to call the man in black until they've, they've got him because he's a bit too creepy. Um, she doesn't want to deal with them and say they have something until they definitely have it. So she never actually makes that call to the man in black. She gets taken off to the police station by the local cops uh, when they come in and stop this whole thing. Um, so she never actually makes the call to the man in black saying that she's found Frank Castle. Just thought it was an interesting mo- moment. Yeah, well, yeah, when you're going for the Punisher, a man who's taken out five already mm-hmm. of your gang, plus the people in the actual bar as well. So he's taken out a fair few already yeah. uh, of her gang. Uh, I do feel that there has been there's some 
military training, be it paramilitary or yes, definitely. group, there's definitely something to this gang. Yeah, definitely. Um, because so, they're not the hicks from the preacher kind of thing. Like, uh, the preacher, obviously, another DC is a DC TV show at the moment, and mm-hmm. they were set in the deep kind of the, the south or the, the, the American Midwest. Um, so they're, they're not, these aren't your yokels with shotguns. These guys oh, are trained. They were moving in and a formation. You got the guy with who's obviously he snipering from the car, but like set well. So there's definitely something here, which I'm, I'm going to find be interesting. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and, and I thought it was quite interesting that they introduced in the way they did last episode as all of them having to use knives and not bullets to take out Frank and, and Rachel in the bar because you don't see their military training as such that way. Um, but they are hugely proficient with knives as well. And this episode, you see them uh, working as a unit as they're approaching the hotel room where the two of them are in. We also see the leader of the group as well. When her two men get shot, she pops around the other side and comes in the other door of the other room where Rachel's hiding. So uh, very good training. She knows exactly yep. what's going on the minute her men get shot as well. So, uh, yeah, did really enjoy this team. Yeah. So the the team, as we said, at the end of it, uh, they are captured by the uh-huh. police. And Rachel's trying to steal the Punisher van as well. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, Rachel. Again, they, they're doing this so you don't like the character. Yeah. But they never told the man in black, which brings us perfectly into bullet point number five, which mm-hmm. is the man in black doesn't need that. He's on their trail anyway. Yes. Because he finds it all out. Now, it starts, we're introduced again to him in a very strange hospital visit. Mm-hmm. Um, where he meets Beth and he's going through um, all of her cards and everything like that. One thing I just want to interject at this point, I like Beth. She's great, isn't she? I really, really like this character. Yep. They, they've given her a soft side. We've been introduced to the kid. I'm hoping she's not just a flyby character. Yep. Like She's in it for a couple of episodes as, as a kind of uh, a movement point to get us into this main story. I'm hoping she does continue through because I do like seeing the softer side of Frank or Pete. Um, and uh, I'm interested to see kind of where it goes, but let's wait and see. Mm-hmm. I just want to interject that I didn't get a chance to say that um, in my feedback for yeah. episode one. Yeah, I really like Beth. She's a great character, and I'm wondering if that's the last time we're going to see her for the show, and we'll see her maybe in episode 13 when everything works out great and Frank goes back to her at the end of at the end of that final episode, perhaps. But as always with these shows... If this is someone that Frank cares about, she's probably going to be shown again and possibly under threat uh, to get Frank to uh, to turn uh, to turn around and come out. But that hospital visit from the Man in Black is so so creepy. As he reads through the cards, taking the name of everybody in there, he says to her, "I know the names of every single person that sent you a card." So, with that in mind, what's the name of the guy that was in the bar? So, in other words, don't try and make up another name of somebody that sent you a card because I know them all right now. And that means I'm going to go and find them and kill them if you tell me the wrong name. But interestingly, fair dues to Beth, she does still give him Pete Castiglione as Frank Castle's name, even though Frank has told her his full background and his full name. After their sex scene in episode one, he did tell her his full history, but she's still keeping it back. But she does tell him the full uh, first name and second name of Pete Castiglione. So he does, does get a little bit of a lead, but not the full lead, I suppose, that I would have expected her to provide after that scary moment with the man in black. Yeah. And we see him still, pl- he's wearing Frank's ring now. Yeah. Uh, which was interesting. Well, yeah. I, I'm assuming it's Frank's ring. It is. We saw it on the floor of the bar um, yeah. when the Man he in Black picks arrived. It up and yeah. we see the inscription, yeah. Maria, to Frank. But now I'm wondering, because he was wearing the wedding ring, so I'm wondering if that was the same wedding ring oh, maybe. that he's uh, wearing. Maybe. I know, he, I know he does take it out of his pocket when uh, he's working with his kind of tech nerd when they go to uh, Frank's apartment uh, that he was renting right beside the uh, the roadhouse. I know he takes it out of his pocket and shows him because of this Pete Castiglione is a different type of beast that he hasn't dealt with before. Uh, that guy was quite interesting, the little tech nerd. He kind of looked like comic book micro, didn't he? Yes, exactly. That's kind of exactly where I was going. I'm like, why do anyone who has something to do with computers have to look like that? It's like, if you were a tech nerd, you look like that guy. <laughs> oh, fellow defenders, I wish we had a, our Skype up and running. Uh, yeah, because right I'm there. bearded too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I sometimes wear glasses. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I speak exactly like him. The wonders of technology. I love it. I love it. I do love this. This is one of the one, one of the really interesting things about the Man in Black character, this conversation that he's having between him and the tech guy. Because tech guy mistakenly swears... And is told by the man in black, don't ever swear in front of me again, in 
a pretty definitive underlining. It's worse than Captain America's watch your language. Um, you know, it's much worse than that. But he also tells him he wishes for a world where there's no technology. Yet, of course, he uses every single type of technology to find P. Castiglione. You know, it's a wonderful thing where he's like, oh, I wish we could go back to the Dark Ages so everybody could just be subservient to God and have no technology at all. But actually, I need to use all of that technology so I can find Frank. And you hear a tech guy kind of going, but a lot of it's quite interesting, isn't it? You know, a lot of it's quite useful, isn't it? We just found your guys because of it. Exactly. I've been calling him, uh, before we talked, Preacher Man. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because I get the distinct, uh, well, the style, the everything about him kind of says that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very interested to see how they play this character. Uh, current world politics aside, religious fanaticism is always something that is very interesting. Mm-hmm. No matter what religion, no matter what, like fanaticism of any kind. Yeah. But this very religious one. Um, so it'd be interesting to see where they, who this preacher man character is, what they uh, yeah. do with him, that type of thing, like the backstory they give him. So I'm very interested to see where it goes. Yes, yes, definitely. But like you said, he's not afraid to use the technology. He may not want it, but he's not afraid to use it because his uh, his tech guy says that Picastoni has been arrested. Yes, and they're in the sheriff's department. Yeah, and we get pulled back into this sheriff scene with. Frank and the knife gang lady and Rachel. Yes, yes, really interesting. And I love the doctor that they have treating uh, these guys in the in the sheriff's department. Just a complete no nonsense type of doctor. I love that moment when um, the leader of the, of the knife gang is saying to her, "I want to go to the local hospital," and she goes, "Well, that's forty five minutes away." And they're going to call me anyway to treat you. So why don't you just sit there and shut up, basically? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, really good little moment. Uh, and she instantly realizes that Frank Castle is a great shot. That Frank Castle clearly has mil- military training because that bullet that went into her leg um, was way too good. It's either an absolutely miraculous shot or Frank Castle intended to miss every bone and just go through the meat in her leg to take her out. Um, I love that little moment where you've got... Just this kind of interesting character out of nowhere, uh, just knowing what exactly is going on. Again, does have that feeling of Jack Reacher, once again, where this town has a lot of interesting people in it. So, Yeah, I, I'm interested to see uh, whether we'll see her again. Yeah. Because they yeah. played up to her a bit too much, I think. Uh-huh. And the fact that it leads me to believe we'll see the Doctor once more. Maybe, maybe. Uh, I, I, I just love so. when, I love when they just put a little, a little bit of depth on that character that you just see on screen for a couple of minutes. It's kind of fun. And it does tell you everything you need to know about the town. Uh, what also I find really interesting is Rachel once again trying to use her basic uh, framework of her storyline to get herself out of this. You know, if you think about what she's saying to the cops, she's saying she's 16 years old. She's been kidnapped. She was tied to a bed by Frank. She didn't know what was going on. And then when Frank got attacked, she tried to escape and saw her chance and, and went to steal the, steal the van. Most of that's true, isn't it? But I love that they none of them fall for it at all. They instantly go, um, nah, just wind back up again. Just tell me exactly how that uh, how that went down. This doesn't sound like it's accurate at all, you know? Yeah, and that's the thing. So, like, as much as she keeps lying, she's like Swiss cheese. Yeah. Too many holes. <laughs> but is she 16 is my big question. Uh, I'm, you know, she said it twice now. She said it to Frank and she's saying it to the cops here. Is she 16 years old or not? Uh, she seems a lot older than that. Uh, seems to have a lot more knowledge than a sixteen-year-old would have, but you never know. We'll, we'll see. We've seen uh, we've seen people in their thirties playing uh, playing sixteen-year-old characters in some uh, various movies and TV shows before, so you never know. <laughs> ah, Saved by the Bell. Where would we be without you? <laughs> I'm right there with you, questioning, but I don't think she's sixteen. Yeah, they all get booked, which is I, I find really interesting mm-hmm. because straight away when we see Frank being booked. I was expecting little, like, when he put his fingers on, and, it, like, he, I was expecting, like, a red kind of thing to come up on screen going, <laughs> doo-doo, like, Homeland Security, CIA, like, beep, 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 beep. Because, to be fair, if Pete Castelloni is known, mm. it's just like, yeah, like, there's going to be alarm bells going off on other places. So I was expecting, like, a S.H.I.E.L.D. logo to come up and just go... Give us a call. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sure S.H.I.E.L.D. knows where he is. But remember, he does make that phone call to Madani to try and get himself cleared of all of the charges again. And Madani does say that his record has been entirely cleared. That was the deal that, that he made with Homeland, was to take the name Pete Castiglione, a man with no past and nothing on his record at all, 
and then go out and wander uh, America and keep clear of any type of uh, of situations like this again. That was his full deal. It's confirmed here when, as you say, there's no red flashing lights going. This is Frank Castle. Do you remember the guy that was up in New York in court and the greatest trial in history? Remember that guy? He's he's now in Michigan and he's shooting people again, you know? Um, I love the reaction uh, from Madani just saying, don't call me again. Don't ever use this number again. Um, so I'm sure we're going to see them back together again, but I wonder what's, what it's going to take to push them back together. Frank has to try and use his own wits to get out of the situation. He talks to the sheriff and uses probably my favorite line of the episode, which is, I didn't murder anyone. They all died from terminal stupidity. What a great moment. <laughs> oh, that was just brilliant. Yeah. I do like the, the foreboding, though, mm-hmm. he, he puts down, which was like, this is going to get bad if you keep me in here. Yes. Like, this is not good. You can kind of see the sheriff going, hmm, maybe I should. No, no, must be good. Must yeah. keep him in line. Like, you can see the sheriff's kind of eyes go, hmm, <laughs> should I just let him walk? This guy is scary. Yeah. Um, again, to the testament of John Bernthal's kind of acting chops here, mm-hmm. just that level of intensity, while... Also, that like being able to pull off terminal stupidity, uh-huh. but also be really so intense that you're like, oh yeah, no, I, I I'd let him go, mm-hmm. I'd let him go, yeah, I'd let him get as far away from me as possible because I know some danger is going to be coming. As we see in the final scene from the episode, we do have the man in black directly outside the door of the uh, of the prison here, so he obviously knew where they were he knew what what state they were going to be in, what city they were going to be in, because he makes it there pretty darn quickly from uh, from when they're. Uh, fingerprints make it into the system so uh, he's there pretty quickly but uh, that is our cliffhanger at the end of this episode is the man in black is waiting right outside yeah and i'm interested to see where it's going to take us into episode three yeah um i I, i'm getting distinct assault on precinct 13 vibes (laughs) but let's wait and see how that ends up yeah it's really it's really interesting isn't it we've had you know episode one we had uh the whole setup was all around the bar all around uh all around the roadhouse um ending in the big fight and big battle in the roadhouse. This episode was all around the hotel, the hostel that they're staying in, the motel they're staying in. And the big battle in this episode was in the motel. Next episode, is it going to be the sheriff's department where they're going to have the big fight? Is this the way we're going to have it for 13 episodes? We're going to have, you know, loads of build up, loads of character building, and then a big scene in one big location that we spent the whole episode in. You know, is it just a new location every episode for 13 episodes? I'm wondering. We're we're back to the wandering Kung Fu. (laughs) Exactly. Or as we mentioned last week, the Incredible Hulk from the 80s. Ah, do, 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 do. See, I can carry that tune. Uh, that's a callback to our previous episodes, 200 episodes. <laughs> nice. I can, can't carry many tunes, but The Incredible Hulk for, with David Banner, I can do. Nice, nice. Uh, I only have one note for this episode. Um, just our whiskey watch, since John isn't here, I, I decided to do the whiskey watch for this episode. Interestingly, Frank is using O'Haran's Scotch whiskey to take care of his wound, uh, the bullet hole that he has in his body. Um this is one that we, I don't think, have actually mentioned before, weirdly. Uh, this is an original Netflix brand that was designed by Zachary Zerlin, who worked on the first ever uh, series of Daredevil. And the reason they use it, the reason they created it, was because if they didn't have a branded whiskey to use, they had to have a label present on screen. So they use this label, O'Haran's uh, Scotch Whiskey, for all of those ones where you don't need to see the label or someone hasn't paid for you to see the label, they use O'Haran's Scotch Whiskey. Cool, huh? I love these little things. Like the thought that <laughs> How did we not notice that before? I don't know. Like I am like these little tidbits yeah. I, I think are fantastic. And I can't wait to see more of them as they kind of over the next couple of weeks, months, years, mm-hmm. like the the producers, the designers coming out going, Hey, do you know what? Because uh, again, bringing it all the way back because everything leads to Spider Man. Um, all roads lead to strange was our, for our previous couple hundred episodes. Now all things lead to Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the, like the, what they're doing, some of these animators and storyboard artists and writers are putting out these little tidbits on uh, social media, in particular Twitter in this yeah. case, just explaining some of their thoughts and how they did it in some background pieces and even showing early concept art and things like that. Yeah. I can't wait to see more of this come through our Netflix kind of series guys like uh, Zachary kind of putting this out that he worked on these shows and going, hey, did you know this? Mm -hmm. Uh, No real kind of notes for me. Uh, My one note, which I already mentioned at the very beginning of this episode, was Frank was bleeding a lot in that car and that Mm -hmm. car seat is going to take, it's going to be a bitch to clean. It certainly is. (laughs) 
So on that note, I'm going to steer us right into the end of this episode. Fellow defenders, as I said, we have covered our top five bullet points. So now we will be deciding whether we defend The Punisher Season 2, Episode 2. And I'm going to throw it right over to my co-host, Derek. Derek, do you defend this episode of Punisher? Yeah, I definitely defend this episode. It feels like a Punisher episode. You know, we're, we're back in Season 2 of this series. And as I said... It has all of the elements that made a good episode of The Punisher last season. Um, having both the showrunner and uh, the director for episode one back on episode two does make the episode feel slightly too similar to episode one. But at least we brought in some other characters that we haven't seen much of uh, since last season with uh, Billy Russo and, and Dina Madani in here. Seeing where they are and what their new normal is now uh, is, uh, is definitely, definitely worth it. Um, a really good episode overall. Uh, as I say, I loved watching the mousetrap that is, uh, that is Frank's brain working as he set up everything uh, for the knife gang to arrive and then just set them all off and, and killed everybody except for the leader of the gang. Uh, quite a, quite an interesting uh, scene as always. Uh, and yes, the man in black uh, can't wait to know more about that character. Uh, I want to know if he's a comic book character. So hopefully we get to know more about him in episode three. Chris, do you defend the Punisher season two, episode two? I do actually harking back to what you said at the very beginning of this, this felt like almost like a two part episode mm-hmm. i'm very happy with how this has been kind of resolved from a story perspective in terms of what they're they're introducing and how they're they're, they're kind of doing it there's a lot of questions it's one of the reasons we love these kind of netflix shows is they're very good at setting it up with hey you think you know everything that's going on here's a subtly performed way or a certain piece of language or a, a shot that's making you go hmm is it now yeah questioning just kind of laying that groundwork for the rest of the season. And they do this very well in our opening episodes. Going forward, I want to see where we t- are taking with Jigsaw. I want to see Jigsaw's face. Just that reveal mm-hmm. is going, we know is going to be good. I'm interested to see who the man, of, my preacher man is, the man in black. Um, and yeah, like Frank and what's driving him now. Like, like I want him to call out that you look like my daughter or I never, no woman left behind or that very chauvinistic is wrong, but the very masculine, um, kind of, I will always protect the woman. And I would love to see Rachel or Amy, whoever she is very much coming back with, I don't need protection mm-hmm. uh, and growing out of that. And like I said, our girl wonder. The boy wonder, the the mini Punisher, <laughs> Punisher 2.0, whatever way you want to mm-hmm. call it. So I said in the my feedback for episode one that the, the kind of burning embers that kind of are driving me to watch more episodes and really my enjoyment. They're there. Uh, at the end of this episode, they've been stoked. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the best way. Like the fire is burning. Would I binge watch now? Not right now. Like mm-hmm. this was enough to set me up and go, oh, I'll go into episode three. Yeah, you've given me just enough, but the fight scenes are excellent, and I think it's more just due to the action and just enough tidbits of questions. Uh, I'd like more story. I'd like to be injected a bit more. Yeah. So I do defend this episode. I want to see where episode three brings me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. I think for this for this one for me, uh, having that moment right at the end of the episode with uh, with him sitting right outside the uh, the sheriff's station. Yeah, I really want to see what happens next. I want to see, um, does he go in and what kind of fighting style does he have when he tries to take out these guys? It's it's one of those moments where you're going, I'll just watch five minutes of the next episode and, and hope for the big thing happens right the first five minutes of the next episode. You know, <laughs> you know his style is going to be preacher foo. <laughs> it's not absolutely. like gung fu or kung fu, it's preacher foo. Exactly, exactly. I, if if anything, I was expecting him just we to see like a little silhouette of like men running past his car, right? Kind of that's what like it, that would have driven me, right? Okay. Kind of like, yeah. oh, the attack's gonna have the assault. Like it's just ugh, that it's just not there yet. See, I'm but, getting I'm getting a, a Night of the Hunter vibe. I don't know if you ever saw this movie with Robert Meacham uh, as a preacher back in in the fifties or forties. Even um, it's a really scary character uh that robert meacham plays in that and i'm getting this kind of vibe about this guy where he's almost like a terminator he's got that kind of vibe about him that you look at him and everybody's going to be scared of this guy the minute he looks at them you know we had that moment with beth in this episode so i have a feeling like 
he d- probably doesn't need a huge gang of people uh, around him to take to take on a, a big group of people. So um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes in the next episode. But fellow defenders, if you want to send us in your thoughts about any of the episodes of Punisher Season 2, all you need to do is email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Pop on over and join us on our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash DefendersTVPodcast. Follow us on Twitter at DefendersCast. Or, of course, go to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com and record your th- voicemail thoughts uh, by clicking the Send Voicemail button and recording up to 90 seconds of your thoughts on any of the episodes of Punisher Season 2. Yes, and because we are at the start of a new season, we always ask you, please remember to pop on over to Apple Podcast or whatever your podcast catcher is and share the love. Write us a review. Tell the world how great our podcasts are of the Punisher and why you love it so much. And actually, if you have feedback and you want to see tweaks, changes, always let us know. You can send your feedback through the emails there and we always read every single point you have. Yes, absolutely. We are now on Spotify as well, um, which I like to mention because I know lots of people are getting us on Spotify now, which is really cool. Um, Over on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher are the four that I like to recommend. So uh, follow us over there if you're not already subscribed. Please subscribe. We'll be back with our review of Punisher Season 2, Episode 3 next Tuesday, the 22nd of January, and then Tuesday and Thursday each week until the end of Episode 13. Right now, nobody knows the release date for Jessica Jones Season 3, but it is entirely possible that it'll be out on the same day as Captain Marvel, which is International Women's Day on March 8th, because that was the same release date as Jessica Jones Season 2. So that means it's going to be pretty close to the end of our two episodes a week run for The Punisher. We're going to do our best to make sure that we still are able to cover Jessica Jones episode one when it comes out and obviously all 13 episodes of The Punisher uh, before it comes out. But we'll see how the release dates stack up and we'll let you know as the episodes go on. Thanks so much for joining us, fellow defenders. Really looking forward to getting through the rest of this season with you. Yes, thank you so much, fellow defenders. And now back to your regular scheduled programming with the interlude by the beautiful Tritachion. I hear a lot of people saying the blues, the blues, but I'm gonna tell you what the blues is. When you ain't got no money, you got the blues. 